the power brokers of Hollywood have been an unreached people group, and they just happen to be the most influential unreached people group on the planet. Fell in love with them, decided to make them my object of missionary outreach effort, love them into the kingdom. Our guest today is Dr. Larry Poland of Master Media International, reaching out to Hollywood insiders. I'm Wayne Shepard. Welcome to this week's First Person. You'll meet our guest in just a moment. Now with a new year underway, this may be a new habit for you to listen to this program. If so, welcome. We introduce you to people every week who are making a difference in the world as they are called and equipped by God to do remarkable things. As I look over the diverse list of past guests, it's incredible how they all have one thing in common. They are compelled by the love of Christ to uniquely serve Him. You'll find that list of past guests and conversations to listen to at firstpersoninterview.com. Just click on the archive button and scroll down through the programs. Today, I've invited Dr. Larry Poland to tell us, first of all, how God called and prepared him, and secondly, what impact he's having in the culture of Hollywood. Larry has recently written the book, Chasm, Crossing the Divide Between Hollywood and People of Faith, and he tells us his story today on First Person. Well, I was born in Ohio, but I grew up in a very Christian little town, which uh, people in the Midwest, uh, if they're uh, over 50 or 60, certainly know. Winona Lake, Indiana, it oh, built itself as the home of the world's largest Bible conference. <laughs> and at that time, I think it probably was. Yeah. Uh, Billy Sunday, the great American evangelist, this, uh, the, the city that Billy Sunday could not shut down was Chicago, <laughs> according to the song, Chicago, Chicago. And uh, that was a very Christian town. We had uh, two Christian evangelical denominations and two seminaries and about 20 other Christian organizations at the time. And so it was a really wonderful environment to grow up. Uh, every summer, the various organizations, including Moody uh, Bible Institute, held their annual conventions there. And uh, for a kid, it was a it was a great environment. Of course, for a Christian kid, it was a terrible environment because in a, in a, I was working in the in the hotels of the community. I started at the cheapest hotel and moved my way up to the most expensive hotel, the Westminster Hotel. And in the process, I got to see way too many Christians. Hmm. Uh, it sounds really maybe unkind to say that, but I, I learned that a lot of the people who are the big names in quotes in the evangelical world, really don't walk the talk. And uh, when you work in a hotel, you know everybody's secrets, you know. So by the time I was 16, I was a little disillusioned, not by my, not by Jesus and not really by the church. My church was a very solid Bible-teaching church. It was a brethren church, and our motto was the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. And so uh, I was, it was pretty straight arrow, and I was a good kid. I didn't drink or smoke or chew or go with girls that do, and Married as a virgin and all that good stuff, and but um, you know, I I was disillusioned by the people in the Christian leadership, particularly that didn't uh, didn't walk the talk. Boy, that would be hard to see that at such a young age. Then, but you went on to Wheaton College, right? Well, I did, and that was a good experience. I had a great time there, and uh, never let my studies interfere with my social life. And I uh, didn't have a serious thought till I got to seminary, and then I only had three or four, as I recall. But <laughs> anyway, uh, I always had a very deep commitment to Jesus. I'd settled that as a five-year-old kid walking the aisle in an evangelical United Brethren Church in Mansfield, Ohio. 
And I had an experience that we don't talk about much more. The, the old saints used to talk about the awakening of the soul. Mm-hmm. It was uh, an experience short of saving faith in which one recognized that he's a sinner, he needed salvation, he recognized that Jesus was the Savior, but was short of full surrender. And then uh, uh, my dad was transferred to a real tough railroad town in Ohio, Lima, Ohio, home of the Lima Locomotive Works. Yeah. They built, uh, you know, locomotives, sure. locomotives. I, I know it well. My wife is from Finley, Ohio, so I know oh, Lima yeah, very well. well. We're neighbors. Yep. yep. And, and I got beat up periodically coming home from school to the terror of my mother. But in, in, in my dad was only there six months, but it was the providence of God, Wayne, because a, a evangelist in those days, we had lots of traveling evangelists, you know, that went from city to city and around the world. Uh, holding evangelistic meetings, and a converted Jewish attorney named Hyman Appleman um, was holding meetings there during that six months that my dad was was stationed there as part of the Texaco Oil Company. And he he spoke one night uh, on uh, when the when the Lord returns, some will be taken and some will be left. Mm. Well, for an eight-year-old kid, you know, went, went home, went to bed, and woke up in the middle of the night and called for mom and dad, and they didn't answer. And Wayne, I was sure I'd been left. <laughs> and I started to cry, and mom heard my cry and came oh. in and said, what's wrong? And I said, oh, I thought I'd been left, like the man said. So she said, well, you don't have to worry about that. You can invite Jesus into your life. And so I got down on my knees, and Mom and I prayed. And I've never had a doubt. That was 1948. I've never had a doubt that Jesus Christ was in my life, and I was his from that day on. It's been wonderful to have the assurance of salvation and of the reality of Jesus in my life. Right. Well, Larry, if I may, it's a long ways from Monona Lake, Indiana, to Hollywood, so you got to tell me just briefly what happened in the intervening years. Well, I've lived three three lifetimes in Christian service. I gave my life to Jesus for whatever he wanted to do on a park bench in Bremerhaven, Germany in 1956 as an exchange student. Huh. I was uh, venting my hostilities at God for the hypocrites and and uh, you know the, the people who didn't walk the talk in my community or whatever. And I got this message, and, and it was, you have any problem with Jesus? <laughs> well, I had to admit I didn't have any problem with Jesus. It was just the people that called themselves his followers. And I got a second message that said, if you just keep your eyes on me, on Jesus, let me take care of the rest of the stuff. You'll be okay. Hmm. And I thought, gee, that's pretty profound and simple. And so I determined to do that. I was going to keep my eyes on him. And if everybody flaked out and we ran off with the secretary and absconded with the deficit or whatever, um, it was going to be okay with me because my faith didn't depend on Christians. It depended on Christ. Hmm. And I said, okay, Lord, you can have my life. I'll give up my plans to be an architect. I wanted to build, you know, suspension bridges and skyscrapers and have my name in the cornerstone. I'll uh, give you my life and you do with it anyone, anything you want, but on one condition, if you ever fail me, it's all over. Because mm. I'd been failed by, you know, pastors and Christian leaders and whatever. And, uh, you know, that was June of 1956. And when I look at the one loss record between Jesus and me over all these years, <laughs> uh, frankly, he's got a pretty, he's got an undefeated, pretty good record, season. right? <laughs> yeah. And oh boy, have I failed him! I, I jokingly huh. say, with some seriousness, if I were he, I wouldn't have put up with me this long. <laughs> but I, I was serious, and I went, went to Wheaton, went to Grace Seminary, and entered Christian service as a, the youngest college president in America at age 27. I was the president of Miami Christian College, Miami. Florida. And that was a baptism of fire, and I got the the job because one Friday I prayed, Lord, you know, 
uh, I feel like I've, I've got poverty in my so-called Christian life. I hadn't experienced the spirit-filled life at that point. And I said, Lord, give me a job to do, to do so big, if you don't undertake, I'll be sunk, and maybe then I'll learn to live on your power instead of my talent. Mm-hmm. And I prayed that prayer on Friday and on Monday, the board of that school that was really struggling invited me to come be the president and had the silliness to to give me a unanimous invitation. And in, in the next six years, Wayne, there wasn't a week went by. I didn't have something to face. There's no way under God's heaven I could have ever done it in my own self-effort. So I learned the spirit-filled life by the crucible mm-hmm. of being overwhelmed in response to that. It was sink or swim, it, huh? It was a liberating experience to learn that you know, the, the only one who could live the Christ life is Christ himself through us in the Holy Spirit. And so six years as a college president, what happened after that? A guy named Bill Bright, that time a little mustachioed guy who ran this <laughs> Christian uh, organization called Campus Crusade for Christ. Well, struggling right? work, yeah. Yeah, well, it was, you know, it wasn't very massive at that point. This is 1973. I had for about a month a strange notion that I was supposed to talk to him. I didn't know him, never seen him. I think maybe I saw a few minutes of one of their crusade videos or something. But uh, and and this this annoying message I was supposed to talk to Bill Bright wouldn't go away. And so finally I prayed, Lord, if this is of you, then make it stronger. If it's not, please take it away. It's annoying. And. Uh, about that time, the campus director at University of Miami called and asked me to speak to their master action group, their leadership uh, group on the, on the on the campus. And I said, this is crazy. I've been having this notion I'm supposed to meet with Bill Bright, and I know nothing about your organization and nothing about Bill. I don't know why I'm supposed to meet with him, but I think it's of the Lord. And and uh, I'm, I'm ready, frankly, to fly to California if I have to, to, to meet with him. And he said, well, uh, funny you should say that. You don't have to fly to California. He's coming into Florida tomorrow morning. So I said, can you get me an hour with him? He says, it'll be tough, but I'll try. And he did. And I flew to Orlando. We sat down. I said, Dr. Bright, I don't have any clue why I'm meeting with you, except I believe the Holy Spirit's been prompting me to do so. He said, well, just have lunch and have prayer and and, uh, see where the Lord leads it. Well, to shorten the story, uh, Wayne. I uh, was invited by him then within the next year to head a new uh, division of Crusade, like a Christian Peace Corps, called the Agape Movement. Mm -hmm. The vision was to put 100,000, Bill Bright never had a small thought. No, he didn't. (laughs) uh, 100,000 young volunteers uh, all over the world. Uh, with the uh, the hope and trust that as they went from mostly from college into the world to share their vocational skills as a foot in the door and the gospel that they would love it and, and become uh, lifetime missionaries hmm. and you know in in eight years we put uh, uh, about eight hundred volunteers in thirty five nations and uh, and about thirty percent of those people did stay on as career missionaries wow. So I did that with them, and then in 1980, I had the turning point that took me past education and past international service into the whole story of Hollywood. And we'll get to that part of Larry Poland's story coming up in the second half of today's interview on First Person. Stay tuned. First Person has partnered with Mission Aviation Fellowship to make available to you a free copy of the classic book, Jungle Pilot, telling the life story of early missionary aviation pilot Nate Saint and the pioneering work of MAF. I've narrated this special audio edition of Jungle Pilot, and a free download is available at firstpersoninterview.com. 
your whole family will enjoy listening to Jungle Pilot. To download, visit firstpersoninterview.com. My guest today is Larry Poland. Dr. Poland is founder, chairman, and CEO of Master Media International, and his latest book is entitled Chasm, Crossing the Divide Between Hollywood and People of Faith. And Larry, we've been hearing your story, and I know we have to skip an awful lot of it, but you eventually did end up in Hollywood with this burden to reach out into that community with uh, with a Christian witness. And I, I just want to talk to you about that whole experience, first of all, and second of all, your assessment of where we are today. Well, Wayne, um, you know, the providence of God is mysterious, and I'm, I'm interested and intrigued and, uh, by the passage that says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of man that exposes. And God has his secrets, and he works in mysterious secret ways. And um, I was in Bill Bright's office one day, and that was a rare occasion. Even though I reported to him, I didn't really um, typically see him more than an hour a month one-on-one. So this was precious time, and the secretary kept you know, all the calls out while we had that precious hour together. Well, uh, the secretary interrupted our meeting and said there's this NBC vice president who wanted to talk to Bill. And um, he said, do you mind if I take the call? And I said, of course not. NBC vice president doesn't call every day. And he got on the phone, and he, the VP of uh, public relations for NBC in Burbank, had a PR problem, and the uh, angry Christians were, and by the way, I had an executive at a big company in Hollywood say, angry Christian is a redundancy for us. It's the only oh. kind we know. Oh, how sad. Wow. So, yeah, very sad. So anyway, um, uh, he he had a PR problem. A rumor was being spread in the South that they were going to, NBC was going to show a movie of the week at Christmas time called Mary and Joseph. And in the opening scene in that, a, Mo- a Roman soldier molests Mary with the implication that Jesus is the illegitimate offspring of that union. Mm. Well, that'd be enraging anyone. The only problem was these characters in the South never checked the rumor. It was never true. They didn't understand that a public company wasn't going to air a film defaming Jesus at Christmas time, <laughs> for sure. So they were burying this dear man with hate mail. This was pre-internet days, or I'm sure there would have been emails and phone calls and whatever. And he was deluge. He was buried, and he was trying to put out the fire. So he was calling a group of, quote, religious leaders to come to see a pre-screening of the film at the studio, and then issue a joint press release saying the rumor's false, and the film is fine. So I heard Bill say to the executive, well, you know, my schedule doesn't permit me. I send one of my trusted co-workers, and he obviously said yes. So I showed up at the screening room with the usual motley assortment of, you know, priests, rabbis, and ministers, about 20 of us in the room, and saw the film. The film was wonderful. I never saw it again. I don't know who produced it, but it was very redemptive, and it was accurate to the story of Jesus. And so at the end of the screening, I stepped up to the exec, and there was a young evangelical minister in front of me. And he was angry. He was ticked. And I don't know why. Maybe he was just just typically angry. I don't know. I didn't know the man. But he was dumping on this exec and and, uh, saying outrageous things and was incredibly disrespectful. And the more he kind of beat up on this exec, the more I wanted to crawl through the floorboards. Finally, he spun on his heels and walked out. And I stepped up to the exec and said, hi, I'm Larry Poland with uh, Campus Crusade. And I'm going to recommend that Dr. Wright sign the press release and think the film is fine. But, sir, I owe you an apology. He says, well, what's that? I said, well, you know, I couldn't help overhearing what this young man said and the way he said it. And I've been a follower of Jesus since I was a kid. He's the most important person in my life. And 
and has been my whole life. But you know, sir, I believe with all my heart if Jesus had been in front of me in line, he would not have spoken to as as this young man did Mm. with disrespect and unkindness. So please, on behalf of those of us who are followers of Jesus, please um, forgive us and don't hold it against our Lord. Wayne, I thought he was going to fall on the heap. I thought he'd go unconscious. It was like a three count of silence. And then he, his first words were, can I take you to lunch? <laughs> Dear guy had been beat up so, so long for so many months. Yeah. And now then someone's stuck on an olive branch, you know, and, it's, yeah. and, it's, and there's no so. So that led you into what you do with Master Media. Bingo. Yeah, in fact, uh, Bill, when I, uh, I got back and reported on it, he said, have you ever considered ministry in the entertainment industry in Hollywood? And I guess, no. Well, would you? And I said, no. <laughs> he said, why not? I said, I don't know anything about Hollywood. I grew up in this little squeaky clean Christian town. Went on a lake at one time. Had written in the town charter, you had to be born again to own property. That's how <laughs> Christian it was. So I said, um, and he said, well, would you pray about it? I said, well, yeah, and I'm not saying I won't do it. You're my boss after all, but I know nothing it about it. It's hard that. to say no to Bill Bright, wasn't it? Well, yeah, especially when he signed your paycheck. Yeah. So um, he said, well, pray about it. You know, the Hollywood's still in the innocence of our kids and the purity of the church. And I go, well, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I thought you were kind of asking if I had any interest or whatever. So I did six months of research, got by secretaries on the role of faith in media. Okay. I like to have 30 minutes of your boss's time to figure out, you know, what his worldview is in this. And so during that time, Wayne... I fell in love with the people. Okay. It's an unreached people group. Yeah. I started ministering then. Yeah, and that's what I want to talk to you about, because as I've watched you and interacted with you through the years, Larry, we have just a few minutes left, but you see people in Hollywood as people, first of all. Uh, not well, yeah, not are. not to be um, not to be hated, not to be vilified, but you see them as people that Christ died for. It's not a battlefield; it's a mission field. And in the entire history of the, of the uh, entertainment industry, nobody, nobody. I've been doing this thirty-four years. I've never found any structure that systematically uh, pursued the executives, a trust relationship with the executives, not the celebrities. They come and go; they're traded like baseball cards. But the power brokers of Hollywood have been an unreached people group, and they just happen to be the most influential and reached people group on the planet, fell in love with them, decided to make them my object of missionary outreach effort, love them into the kingdom, because they're all just one miracle away, no matter how debauched or wretched they may be. But I'm sure that's brought you a measure of criticism from those who don't don't understand why you would, you know, quote, support people like that. (laughs) Yeah, I had a guy tell me, you know, I don't want you, I don't get what you're doing. Hollywood deserves to go to hell. And I go, Excuse me, uh, as I read the book, we all deserve yeah, to true. go to hell. And if I were in charge and I didn't know the Lord, I think I'd probably be doing that stuff as bad or worse than those people are who don't know the Lord who run the industry. Hmm. Well, you've been in Hollywood for some very interesting times. I mean, everything from The Last Temptation of Christ through The Passion of the Christ and Christian filmmakers coming onto the scene. Uh, give me a, Give me a sense of what's going on today and how we can pray. Well, the essence of that is described in my book, Chasm. This is my piece to resistance. I've been wanting to write this book for probably 15 years, and I've had notes going back almost that far. Most people don't have a clue what Hollywood is really, how it functions really, uh, the dynamics of the industry from a moral, spiritual values point of view. 
And the book is written primarily for Christians, but there's this chasm in which most of the leadership on both sides, the evangelical Christian community and the Hollywood community leadership, they've been wasting time for 100 years of the film business and 50, 60 years of the TV business, lobbing mortar shells at each other, not really establishing any you know, love-trust relationships where they could sit down and say, you know, we really differ, but I respect you yeah. as a human being. So there and is blame so, on both sides, right? Oh boy, and and one of, and some people are gonna are gonna like the book because I I'm not shy. In fact, one of my favorite chapters is called "The Ambassadors of Peace Take Up Arms," <laughs> and it's a parable about this uh, group of Christians that discover a bunch of cannibals in a jungle in in Aranda or Rundi or somewhere, and they decide that they're gonna stop their cannibalism, and so they first start by protesting, and they march around the village carrying placards, and before they know it, they're being buried with fiery arrows from in inside the village, and they say, oops, this isn't working. So then they decide, I know, let's boycott them. We'll shut down their trinket business and close every uh, trading post within 20 miles, and and we'll... And uh, the parable, obviously, is we've used the the kind of tactics, those kind of tactics, uh, on Hollywood, and we would never consider using them on cannibals. We would go and try to build love and trust and share the love of Jesus and serve them until we had got an entree to their hearts, and then we'd share the good news, and they'd come to Jesus and be revolutionized. So yeah. uh, that's, that's the book. So the book is goes pretty tough on evangelicals <laughs> and their anger strategies, uh, and it analyzes at a much more nuanced level than just, oh, we disagree on homosexuality and it abortion. It sure does. Yeah, it's a good read. Uh, it really is. Uh, just a, a, a final question here, Larry. I wish we had more time to talk about these things. And your book goes into great detail, and I, I hope people will read Chasm. But what keeps you going? Are, are you hopeful? Are you seeing progress? Oh, what's keeping me going is I'm seeing a harvest. Yeah, you know, I've been working this 34 years, and those first you know 20 some years were pretty pretty lean. Did an awful lot of planting, awful lot of watering, and now it's it's increased. We're seeing more openness. We're seeing it particularly among Jewish people in the community, less hostility, more openness to talk about Jesus, about spiritual things. Um, and I'm sure it's because of the 25th anniversary of the Media Leader Count prayer calendar, which we mobilized, as I said, 25 years ago to get people like you, listener, to pray and become involved. In fact, go to our website, mastermediaintl.org, and sign up and get the list of the most powerful person and the most influential person for that day to pray for every morning before you launch your day. And you can have a ministry in Hollywood just like me, and together we're seeing awesome things happen. God gave me an opportunity to dress the 25 most powerful executives in the legendary student uh, studio recently, and that just doesn't happen for evangelicals, but for the grace of God. The calendar that Larry and Master Media produces is called the Media Leader and Cultural Influencer Prayer Calendar, and it's a very effective way to pray for and encourage members of the media. We've placed links to that prayer calendar, as well as Larry Poland's book, Chasm, Crossing the Divide Between Hollywood and People of Faith, at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Once again, that's firstpersoninterview.com, where you'll also find our archive of past programs, as well as the schedule of what's coming up over the next few weeks. Now, if you'd like to leave a comment on what you've heard on today's program or on any past program, please use our Facebook page for that purpose. It's facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. You can like our page and leave comments at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. 
We're also available on iTunes. You can download First Person each week automatically when you subscribe through iTunes. Just visit our website for more information, firstpersoninterview.com. Next week, you'll meet a doctor who's involved in providing medical training to doctors in Africa, some who have been deeply affected by the Ebola crisis. Bruce Steffes will be with us next time. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thank you for listening, and join us next week for First Person. First Person.